Please welcome to the stage Ben Evans, Federal Legislative Director at the U.S. Green Building Council. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, uh, and welcome to USGBC Live. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, and in particular, thanks to those of you here uh, in person, uh, getting out and braving the world. I know that's not easy these days, so we appreciate you doing that. Um, we have a really exciting program for you today, um, and we hope that you, you leave here feeling energized and inspired and ready to take on new challenges because uh, this community has a big job ahead of it. We all, we all, each of us in this room, have an urgent responsibility to start building a more sustainable and uh, resilient and, and healthy and equitable future. Um, and we have to do it in a way that reaches everyone. Um, and I believe USGBC's work is, is proof that we can do that uh, in the built environment. Um, but we have our work cut out for us, um, and that's what this conference is about. We look forward to two days of, of conversations talking about how we, how we can get there. Um, we have a really good opening uh, plenary this morning, excellent opening plenary this morning with speakers from the highest levels of the Biden administration, starting in a moment with, the, uh, with Adrian Todman, the Deputy Secretary of the Department of Housing and Urban Development. Um, you know, the Biden administration, despite everything that is going on in the world, and we all know there's a lot going on in the world, um, has really maintained a consistent priority on two issues, um, climate and environmental justice. Um, and there are a few issues where those two uh, issues come together more than in housing. Um, where we live plays such a critical role in our lives, in our health, in our future, in our success. Um, and we have to do a better job, uh, particularly in disadvantaged communities. Um, we clearly have a, a dire shortage of adequate, affordable housing in the United States. We need to build a lot more of it. Um, and we owe it to the families who will live in those houses to build it in a way that is efficient and resilient and healthy. Um, and we owe it uh, to future generations um, to build it in a way that is sustainable. Um, housing accounts for about, for more than 15% of U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, so it's a critical piece of the, of the climate puzzle. Um, and that's why we're so excited to have Deputy Secretary Todman here with us uh, this morning under her leadership and, and that of Secretary Marsha Fudge. HUD has really aligned its mission and vision uh, around these values um, and is working day and night to, to, to make progress. Um, and so please join me uh, in welcoming Deputy Secretary Todman to the stage. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ben. Well, good morning, everyone. Everybody has their second cup of coffee in hand. I see a couple out there. Excellent. And welcome to Washington, D.C., if it's any first-time visitors here? Just out of curiosity, any first-time visitors to Washington? Okay, right here. Well, welcome. Welcome. We hope that you return. Um, thank you so much for that, that warm introduction. You know, it has been such an honor and a privilege to be able to serve as your Deputy Secretary of HUD with this particular administration. I, I have been a long this green journey with you all, but from a different perspective. I was a local housing agency director, um, and during that time, we created one of the first energy service companies inside of the housing agency so we can, this is 20 years ago, 
not anytime recent, so we could do all of the things that I know that you all would want housers to do, which is to reduce our carbon footprint, begin to integrate new green technology into the way that we operated our housing units and track that and create savings so that we could reinvest it in our capital funds. So, so I continue to be a student of all of the work that you do, but I wanted to make sure I began by saying that um, in my own little way, I've been uh, part of the family, so to speak, in trying to get the right thing done, always at the right time. Let me say that you know President Biden is committed to addressing climate change on all fronts, and he has tasked our agency with finding ways to ensure that our housing infrastructure is sustainable and that when we build more homes, that we do so in a green way, in a way that is equitable. Under the leadership of my secretary, Secretary Marsha Fudge, HUD is committed to ensuring everyone in this country has access to safe, stable, and a healthy home. Our nation's challenges are great, but they're not unsolvable, especially when it comes to issues in housing. With creativity, innovation, and determination, we can confront these challenges. We can build more sustainable and safe homes. We can fortify vulnerable communities so that they can withstand natural disasters. And at HUD, we're grateful for the work that you all are doing. And I'd like to give a special shout out to HUD's own senior advisor on climate change, Crystal, where are you, Crystal? Raise your hand for the amazing work that she's doing. Let's give Crystal a round of applause. And with Crystal's leadership and, and guidance, we know that we have to do more, even within the population of homes that we support. We provide subsidy to upwards of five million homes across the country between public housing or multifamily assisted units. And according to internal analysis, at HUD we spend $6.9 billion on utilities for public and assisted housing every single year, and that's about 14% of our agency's total budget. And that means that our units produce about 13.6 million metric tons of carbon emissions every year. So we know that we have a responsibility in reducing our carbon footprint across the country. And we are working to change that. We know that we must make our HUD homes more efficient, and not just to reduce our impact on the environment, but also to lower costs for families and improve their quality of life. In fact, the most recent, and I don't have to tell you all this, but the most recent climate assessment from the U.S. Global Change Research Program underscores how critical HUD's climate change mitigation adaptation work is to achieving climate justice. We know that climate change creates new risk and exacerbates existing vulnerabilities in communities across the United States and presents growing challenges to human health and safety. And these challenges are universal. Our nation's low-income families and people of color are disproportionately impacted by climate change and extreme weather. And, and I will say I have seen much of this firsthand. I have the, the opportunity and the, the privilege and the uh, responsibility of keeping watch on what happens in HUD's disaster recovery work. And I've had the opportunity to travel, you know, up north to New Jersey to some sites where it's predominantly black and brown people to see the damage that Ida's flooding did and the opportunity to go to look at some of the lower income communities in Dawson Springs and Mayfield, Kentucky and just to see the devastation there from the tornadoes that occurred in December. 
So, so we know that this is real, and we know that it's impacting the people who can least afford it to occur. So at HUD, we are confronting and taking on the climate crisis on multiple fronts. We know it's not enough to just build back from disasters. We must build resilient communities that can withstand more intense natural disasters and assist the vulnerable communities that I see so often. And through our community development block grant disaster recovery, we are doing just that. In fact, just earlier this year, we released funds for our 2020 and 2021 presidentially declared disasters and built into that not just the obligation to use those funds to rebuild communities, but to do so in a way that had a close lens on an equitable way to rebuild, to make sure that the same communities that I'm visiting are able to withstand these future storms, which unfortunately continue to come our way. And that was roughly about $5 billion. I'll, I'll tell you the work that I am very excited about and very proud of and, and so happy that we have Crystal along with us to, to, to help shepherd this work. And that is HUD's Climate Action Plan. And I hope that you all have, everybody's read the cl HUD Climate Action Plan, everybody? There you go. <laughs> that's right, that's right. But last fall, we released this. And this is a, this is a all of HUD exercise. In fact, it was an all of government exercise. I know I'll be joined by uh, Secretary of Energy soon, and she'll be speaking to that. But this is an all of government, but particularly it's an all of HUD. And every single program area inside of HUD, whether it's our public housing portfolio, our privately held multifamily portfolio, the folks who are doing our community development, the folks who are doing our healthcare financing for facilities. Everybody came together and has a piece of this plan. And we, we gather um, some once a month, others of us as a larger group once a quarter to check our progress in a meaningful way. And I know that the secretary has charged us to do this because she understands the impact that it's happening to the families we serve. Let me give you a sense of some of the highlights of our plan. So we are we're making sure that we have climate communities that have strong initiatives. We know that cities and localities are on the front lines of climate emergency, and low-income residents and people of color often bear the impact of when climate-related disasters strike. We're also mapping a path forward. We, you know, we, can't, we can't move forward if we can't measure what we're moving forward towards. And HUD is undertaking efforts to increase data availability related to building performance and energy usage, as well as data related to climate risk, both financial and physical, across our portfolio. We're also in the process of putting together an equitable decarbonization roadmap that I'm particularly proud of, because we know that this is a journey of not probably the folks who are serving here at HUD now, but in the future. We want to make sure that that we are leaving behind not just the work we're doing now, but an opportunity for all staff to see how to travel forward. We're also strengthening our resilience. HUD is updating its floodplain requirements. I'm sure many of you are anticipating that in alignment with the Federal Flood Risk Management Standard. It's also focused on sustainable disaster recovery across the United States and also in the territories. And we're doing a fair amount of work in Puerto Rico um, which you all may, call, may recall during Irma and Maria, which just withstood just, a, just historic damage. And we're really working very closely with the government there to make sure that they're using HUD's disaster recovery funds in terms of 
being able to respond to future hurricanes. We are also, we are also focused on green building and electrification. Too often, households and treated as afterthought when it comes to advancing technology and green buildings. And HUD is aligning building and, subst and substantial rehab incentives to require energy efficiency and equitable decarbonization goals, including the requirements of new construction with new funds to achieve green building standards. We're also utilizing our financing tools. Many of you may know that the Federal Housing Administration, or FHA, just sit inside of the umbrella of HUD. And so we have something that's called a, a green mortgage insurance premium. And, the, and we were incentivizing our FHA borrowers to adopt green building standards through the green mortgage insurance premium. And how are we doing that? A total of $38.2 billion in multifamily mortgage insurance for green projects have been endorsed for about 1,400 developments with 281,000 units of multifamily housing since the green MIP was introduced not too long ago. And as of last month, the FHA, the Federal Housing Administration, will be reducing upfront and annual mortgage insurance premiums for residential care facilities. I bet you some of you don't know that HUD also insures nursing homes and uh, the construction of nursing homes and also healthcare facilities. And so we are using the power of our insurance vehicles to encourage and incentivize owners who are building and adapting those facilities to also adopt green technology and green habits by reducing the cost for them to build those facilities. And we're very proud of that work. In addition, our 2023 budget proposal, the president made it clear of the role that HUD will play in reducing our carbon footprint. We have 1.1 billion in targeted climate resilience and energy efficiency improvements in public housing, tribal housing, and our multifamily portfolio. We're gonna spend $250 million to help communities develop and implement locally driven comprehensive neighborhood plans to transform underserved neighborhoods. But one of the pieces of our work that the Secretary and I are particularly excited about is, was just announced very recently, about two weeks ago, and, and let me preface this by saying I've, I've been in this industry for more decades than I care to admit. And it is very rare, very rare, to have a president of the United States stand with the need to have an improved and increased housing supply. Many, many presidents will talk about education and roads. Many presidents might even talk about climate change, but this president and this secretary is laser focused in making sure that we are able to withstand and improve some of the housing costs we're experiencing now by actually developing a housing supply action plan. And we are thrilled that throughout that action plan, I encourage you to visit it on our website or the White Houses, embedded in there is making sure that as we are improving and building new housing, that we are also doing it with what I call a green eye. And that doesn't mean make more money. Making sure that we're doing it in a resilient and responsible way. And I'm particularly, particularly proud of that work because it is historic, and I'm here to tell you that. Let me, let me conclude before I have an opportunity to, to chat with you that, you know, at HUD, we understand the opportunity and responsibility that we have. We understand the work that we need to do. Some of this work is hard. Some of this work, we're going to need your partnership and your ambassadorship 
to help us move forward because it's, this is a journey. Change, as you all know, I have to tell you, change is hard. Change, particularly in the built environment where there's challenges and pushback, will be hard. So I know the Secretary and I, I know Crystal, will be looking to you all that as we move forward and we, we're putting our proposals out there, we're going to need your help and your strength to make sure we take it across the finish line. I want to thank you all for inviting me here today, and I look forward to, to chatting with you in a little bit. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Deputy Secretary. That was terrific. Um, and it's just so good to have someone with your experience and expertise in this role. I, I neglected to mention um, in my remarks that previously you were the head of the DC Housing Authority and then the CEO of the National Association of, of Housing and Redevelopment Officials. You got it, you got um, it. So, so uh, just lots of experience here. And, and I also noticed in, in, in preparing for this that tomorrow is the one-year anniversary of your Senate confirmation into this role. So oh my gosh. Congratulations. You had to remind me of that, right? <laughs> <laughs> that is true. I, a year goes by very quickly when you're having fun. Yes, How's that's about right. that? Um, well, I know it's a lot of work, and, and you all are doing so much work. But let's start broadly there. In, in that past year, what, what obviously housing is in the headlines so much these days, but what do you see uh, as the biggest challenges our communities face? You know, I can't sit here and look at you all and not think about all the things that people are feeling challenged about uh, before, I go, before I come back into the housing space. I mean, we, you know, we know that folks are struggling with gas prices. We know that folks are struggling with um, sadly seeing little babies killed and shot. Um, we know that folks are struggling with disaster recovery. There's a lot out there, and these are all things that I'm proud that our president has addressed and continues to address. So the communities are struggling through many things. The one thing that HUD, in our purview, can help families across the country is the struggle they have with their increasing costs to housing. We, you know, I have a 26-year-old daughter. Um, uh, she hates when I speak about her, incidentally. She hates. So I love it a lot. But I have a 26-year-old daughter who, you know, when she graduated from college some years ago, wanted to move to New York and, you know, now lives in Boston. So I saw, I mean, I see it here in D.C., but I saw her struggle. And those of you who have college-age youth and graduates, you know, know that this is not just an issue of low-income families. We know that we have first-time homeowners who are struggling to find homes in the market right now and, and delaying their purchase or just can't compete. So we know that in the midst of all the things that we're thinking about right now in this amazing country of ours, we know that that is, that is an issue that Americans are faced with. And that is why when I was so thrilled about this housing supply action plan, it is rare. It is very rare for the federal government. This has been a local issue. I mean, mayors, county executives have taken on housing supply and being creative for a very long time. But it, the federal government has not really leaned in in a, very, uh, in a very leadership way to say, we are part of the solution. So we know, we know that we are not building enough homes. And just this year, we're probably catching up to what we would need to build uh, in terms of a year over year housing starts. But we're about, depending upon estimates, between one and Four, billion, 4 million rather units short. 
And so this housing action plan and the work that we're doing is something that we know in the long term is going to address some of the issues that families have. Yeah, absolutely. And it's great also to see the work across agencies and taking a, a whole of government approach on this and, and, and on climate and, and other issues. So let's talk a little bit more about that plan. You, sure. the, the, the federal government, the White House has announced a suite of proposals yes. recently on, on addressing this crisis. Um, what, what, what are you, what's, you can talk a little bit more about what HUD's role is in that, in that plan and, and, and what excites you about, about it and particularly anything, you know, in addressing uh, green or sustainability in there. No, absolutely. So one of the things that the plan includes is, is aspirational, right? Um, and that is the creation of a $50 billion housing supply fund. And what's aspirational about this concept is because it's included in the mandatory side of the budget. So those of you who are maybe federal budget wonks might know that there's a discretionary side and then there's the mandatory side. And the mandatory side is where things like Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid sit. So the idea of having a mandatory uh, process to fund our housing is, is pretty amazing. And 30 of the 50 billion would come to HUD. Um, embedded inside of that 30 billion is a $10 billion incentive for localities to, I keep saying, do the right thing, whether that's zoning, looking at ways for them to reduce their own carbon footprint, to incentivize communities to take on some of the things that this administration values. So we're really excited about that component of it as well. Yeah, that's great. And also some really good programs in the bipartisan infrastructure law that's being implemented So um, around community development. Um, this, you, you mentioned the climate plan. We mm -hmm. were really thrilled to see the climate plan, and it's a, it's a great document, as you said. If you haven't read it yet, take a look. It's There's a test at the end of the conference. <laughs> Um, and, and, you know, one of the things that jumped out to me about that is not just the climate impact, but the cost uh, to, to, to the department where it's, uh, you know, somewhere around 14 percent of HUD's budget goes to paying utility bills. That's and, right. and so, you know, that's money that's not going to building housing. Um, so this is not just a climate issue. It's a it's a cost issue as well. Um, but we know that housing accounts for about 20 percent of U.S. energy consumption, more than 15 percent of of U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. Um, in, in other words, we can't address the, the climate crisis adequately without addressing the right. housing sector. Um, could you talk a little bit more about the goals that you have and, and how you hope to get there? Yeah. You know, this is, this is iterative work, right? You, you don't wake up one day and say, hey, we're going to have a climate action plan and it's going to be amazing. There's, we are building on some of the work that occurred um, during the um, Obama administration. Let me give you an example of that. We had then a better buildings um, uh, initiative, which, which... Great program. Yeah, and, and I'm, and I'm going to start there because when I was in my previous, previous job, we actually signed up and said, you know, we can do better buildings, too. We're going to do it better than the folks in Texas and California. <laughs> we're, we're very territorial out there. In that. It's a challenge. It's a challenge, it's a right? Challenge. It was a challenge. It was a challenge. And, um, but we saw folks just uh, incrementally, town by town, city by city, um, building block by building block, do things that was inspiring not just to us, but also achieve things that they didn't think that they could 
achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mentioned sort of the, the concept of an, an uh, ESCOs that be, were being uh, created by housing agencies. HUD has a number of different tools in its toolkit to really incentivize ho- housing owners, particularly in the public housing space, to reduce their utility costs and reinvest. And so we're very proud of the work there. We're very proud now of the partnership that we have with Department of Energy, and now it's a better climate, uh, better climate challenge. Well, is, it, is it a challenge? Is it, it's still a challenge. That's right. It's still a challenge, uh, our better climate challenge. And so we're thrilled to be able to partner with Department of Energy on yes. that initiative. Yeah, and, and they do a great job, and we'll mm-hmm. be hearing from the secretary well, shortly. Um, well, let's talk a little bit more about about health and and um, in, in in homes. And, sure. and there's so many studies show the the link between um, you know a healthy home and and, and the residents' mm-hmm. uh, success. Um, and we appreciate all that HUD is doing in this area. Um, how can our community collaborate with HUD? Um, to, to make sure we educate builders and the housing community and others to understand the needs of low and moderate income residents, um, particularly when they're, so many times they're spending as much as 10 or 15 percent of their income on energy bills. So this is a tricky point, right? Um, and, and, and even with my former developer hat on, is a space where it is easy to push back because there is the initial upfront costs that comes with adopting you know, new green uh, standards. There is an upfront cost. And part of what I see HUD's responsibility is, because we are who we are, is finding ways to incentivize and finance. We talked about the green MIP. Incentivize ways that, to really lower the arguments that that upfront cost brings mm-hmm. to the need to, as I say, do the right thing. But here's what I also know. I know that in the long run, that utility savings will ultimately benefit the lower income families and individuals that we serve. And I saw that firsthand, uh, I saw that firsthand not too long ago in April, I visited a community in Ward 8, and for those of you who are familiar with Ward 8, it is the uh, communities of some of the lowest incomes here in Washington, D.C., and so I visited, and they had a brand new solar farm, a brand new, it was, it was, I know the city well, it was, I I got, I kind of geeked out a little bit, because it was just like a piece of dirt, you know, land, and so they repurposed this, and it's a beautiful solar farm that was helping the individuals who have modest incomes just across the road and in the general community uh, to lower their utility costs. And what HUD did was because, uh, because of the intricacies of our, 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 HUD, our HUD programs, we wanted to make sure that any increased resources, increased income into the household by reducing the utility costs wasn't seen as an asset that we needed to then increase their rent. And so we decoupled that income that was being derived by reducing their utility costs from increasing their rent. I know I'm probably doing like some algebra, some hot <laughs> algebra here, but I promise you it makes, it makes sense to us. Um, and so, so we, and, and, and folks were thrilled. And, and that was an example, what I really loved about that site, it was a beautiful example of a, a concept that seemed foreign for a lot of people and encouraging local community leaders to become ambassadors 
of the work that you all do in so many ways. And, and I've known some of these leaders forever. These were not green-friendly folks. And, uh, and folks were like, this is the best thing that we've done for families in a long time. And to see that connection of things that you all research and think about being done, mm -hmm. and then um, a mom, a grandparent being able to benefit, is, it just creates the circle. It shows us why we do this work. Yeah. And so that was particularly exciting to me. Oh, that's great. Um, that's great. And yeah, it is, it's a big challenge, not just in housing, but across our work um, to demonstrate that, that, that there, yes, there is an upfront cost, but the benefits are, are so great. And it's not just, you know, a utility bill or lowered carbon emissions. There's so many benefits from. Absolutely. From absolutely. And we, and we do need to make that case as well in terms of, of you know reducing our carbon footprint, but I'm I'm gonna admit to you all. I don't have to tell you that is sometimes a harder thing to convince folks when you're trying to make that connection. So we we enter any door we can to get the work done. Right? It is yeah <laughs> by any message necessary. That's why. And so often you know folks are looking at that upfront cost and not yep. not looking at that longer term. And and at times there's not a lot of transparency around the longer term costs and things. So it's uh, it is a challenge not just in housing but across our right. work of green buildings. And um, but it, it's glad to to hear you talk about that. It sounds like you have your finger on the pulse of that issue. Well, you know it's it's the reason why we did things like the green MIP. You know is it's to acknowledge that we know that we want you all to to do something that this administration values, but we understand that in the real world, there's a, there's a cost to that. Right, mm -hmm. right. Well, our audience includes the, the, the builders, the architects, yep. the engineers, the developers, the people who operate buildings, um, so the folks who are doing the work on, right. on the ground. Um, what, what, what message would you give to them around this, this type of work? What Keep doing what you're doing. First, read the HUD Climate Action Plan. <laughs> Second, Keep doing what you're doing, um, and, and really thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, um, like I said, I am I'm a practitioner, but I am still a student in this space. I learn, Crystal teaches me things every day. Um, but it does, take, it does take an army of folks like you all to continue to educate, continue to push, continue to advocate for things that government needs to do and things that the private sector needs to do, uh, folks who have not yet adopted this practice. So just keep doing what you're doing. Um, um, I would encourage you, I would encourage you as you're speaking to folks like the former me when I was developing and, and running a housing agency to, to really listen to what some of the challenges are. And rather than walking away from the conversation frustrated, like no one's listening, to really take the time to break down and find ways, things inside of our whole green ecosystem that addresses those challenges and, and try to have a conversation with folks. I think that many people understand what we need to do, but so many people are busy just doing what they can do right now. So it takes individuals like you who are aspirational and doing that work to say, here's how you can do something a little bit better and bit by bit, we will have a whole nation of folks just like you all, um, all doing the right thing. So thank you for that. Yeah, it is. It's interesting. You hear that consistently. You need to be, get get in up front and be creative on that's how right. to get around some of these obstacles. That's right. So that's good advice. Um, so you started your career uh, tackling homelessness in Washington D.C. 
Um, since joining HUD, how have you leveraged that local on the ground um, work um, in the federal government role to, to address housing challenges? I've got to say, I, I have been um, so fortunate to have the professional journey that I did. So I, I you know, began on the Hill, just learning how the sausage is made, as, as they say. Um, moved over to HUD. That was my first tour. I worked in, at HUD in the 1990s. And, and then um, moved into pretty the, in local governance. And I was able to understand the way that HUD thought about its goals and apply it in a local sense. So I would sit in these rooms with folks, and, and they would say, like, we hate HUD. And I go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, but then sort of say back to his understanding and, and listening and having conversation and say, you know what, well, maybe if we think about it this way and think about it that way and, and was able to really understand some of the pain points of things that were meant to be large cookie cutter policy areas and how that's applied at the, at the local level. And so, so, and I had a great experience with my, um, my last job, NARA, where I got to travel the country and get to, it's a big country out there, let me tell you, um, it is. And I had to modulate and think about my East Coast sensibilities when I went to Utah, when I went to Montana, <laughs> when I went to Texas, when I went to Nebraska. And I learned, and that's why I'm saying conversation and creating a, a alignment you know, in any way you can, I learned what that felt like, where folks were not necessarily, where folks would shut down when mm -hmm. you begin a conversation with them on a number of different things. So, so that, that taught me a lot. So all of that now is sitting inside of this deputy secretary package, and, I, and I'm so thrilled to be able to just pour into all the communities across the, the country and keep that going. You can keep that experience going. Like I, I, I know how folks feel, you know, in in uh, uh, you know in in Kentucky and Nebraska or or Utah or Montana about some of these issues. It's it, some of it might not be terribly compelling, mm -hmm. um, but we're able to start a conversation and meet them where they are and maybe bring them forward a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So many different communities out there. Right. Um, so this is a it's a it's a famously challenging area sometimes of work sometimes it's hard to see you know the light at the end of the tunnel in this work what got you to start in housing and and stay and and, and why do you stay what, what so i don't know if there's any particularly young people here um <laughs> i don't know i can't see not because you all look old i just can't see i can't see <laughs> um, but completely by accident all right serendipity and when I, um, I, again, began my career on the Hill, uh, and my boss was retiring, and I said, well, i got to find a job. And so I was applying for jobs on the Hill, and then that was uh, what they refer to now as the Republican Revolution. Uh, Congressman Gingrich um, became the speaker, and, you know, if you're a Democratic staffer, jobs, not so much. And so... I began applying into the executive branch, and so I applied to OMB. And this is, again, for young people, the story. I applied to OMB, Office of Management and Budget, and HUD. So OMB gave me the first offer, and I was like, I've got a job. That's great. This is, I'm 24, 25. This is, it's important why I'm 24, 25. I've got a job. This is great. HUD literally called a week later and offered me $15,000 more 
a year. And if you're, right, if you're a young, you know, 20s, that's big money, right? Um, and so I said, you know, this hug thing is looking. <laughs> All of a sudden, housing, right? And, and that's where the journey began. Um, but I think everything happens for a reason. And I was meant to be at HUD. Um, I was meant to go and work at the local government. I was meant to do my jobs at NARA. I was meant to be your deputy secretary because not only is it thrilling for me to apply the importance of the built environment to improving and the quality of people's lives, it also provides an opportunity for me to do and to be here to help folks like you move this country and advance it forward. And so that was my housing journey. <laughs> well, great. Such important work. And thank you so much for, for your leadership and thank for you. being here with us today. Thank you, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Absolutely. Take care, everybody.